Welcome to Songs of Praise from 3ABN Australia Radio. Nothing to do but live my head. 
love to tell the story of unseen things above, of Jesus and His glory, of Jesus and His love. I love to tell the story. Because I know it's true, it satisfies my longings as nothing else can do. I love to tell the story; it will be my theme in glory to tell. Jesus and His love. I love to tell the story for those who know it best. Seem hungering and thirsting to hear it like the rest, and when in sea. I sing the new, new song. Twill be the old, old story that I have loved so long. I love to tell the story. Twill be my theme in glory to tell. Tell the old old story of Jesus and His
This is Songs of Praise, brought to you by 3ABN Australia Radio.
The prophets tried to warn her Heed the writing on the wall Turned from her wicked ways Before the day The wrath of God would fall Oppressor of God's people Babylon so
Songs of Praise.
Stand before. 
to 3ABN Australia Radio's Songs of Praise. Thank you. 
been listening to Songs of Praise, a production of 3ABN Australia Radio. Today, in 3ABN Australia Radio's book reading, we're continuing I Saw God's Hand by the late missionary pastor Elwyn Martin. Much of the book is set in Papua New Guinea and is broadcast with the kind permission of Amazing Facts. Our last episode introduced us to a young man called Haru Hariva, whom Pastor Martin called one of the most unforgettable characters he had ever met. Haru was one of our earliest converts in Western Papua and became an outstanding teacher and evangelist who was without parallel in opening up new work among cannibals and headhunters. As a linguist, Haru had no rival. I was amazed to learn that Haru spoke no less than 32 languages and dialects. I have never been in a village, coastal or inland, when I had Haru with me, where I was not able to use him as my interpreter. He could always find someone who knew one of the many languages he spoke. For years, the Tarama region, a river region, had been a special challenge to mission enterprise. Other mission bodies on a few occasions had explored the possibility of beginning work among the cannibals of the upper Tarama River, but they had turned away. I knew that the gospel must go to these savage people and that the responsibility seemed to rest squarely on my shoulders, for it was part of my large territory. As I prayed about opening the Tarama area, the text Isaiah 54.2 seemed to dominate my thinking, lengthen thy cords and strengthen thy stakes. For some months I prayerfully worked out plans for an exploratory trip which I felt would be the best way to evaluate the potential and the best means of launching an all-out offensive. Needless to say, I was conscious of the fact that it would require much more than human planning, for the enemy of souls would certainly resist any challenges to his domain. To find time for such a trip seemed impossible. At last I managed to fit in nine days, the very minimum required. As the time approached, my wife and I gave much time to prayer for the venture. We anticipated that the announcement of such a trip to the students would cause some real concern. One morning, within three weeks of my planned departure time, I broke the news to the students at the close of our morning worship. It was as though a bomb had been dropped. In tears, some of them pleaded with me not to go, for they felt it would be goodbye forever. When they became fully convinced that I was going, without even a suggestion by me or to me, they decided to have prayer meeting every morning and every evening. They worked out the whole format themselves. First, they prayed that the Master would bring me and my passengers safely back to them, and second, that the Lord would send his angels to prepare the way. Do you know that every person on the mission attended those early morning and evening prayer meetings? As we neared the time of sailing, my wife became apprehensive. She wasn't a good sailor, but decided that she and the two younger children should accompany me on this trip, 
for she felt that if I were to be killed, then maybe it would be better for all of us to be lost together. The older children were in one of our schools in Australia. We sailed one Sunday morning with several teachers, including Haru, plus the crew. Heavy seas were running, but that did not worry me unduly, for according to the law of averages, we should have been out of the southeast season, rough weather. We were able to travel for the first couple of days in inside waters through the great Papuan Delta, a vast spider web of rivers. One can travel 80 or 90 miles and not be any more than a few miles from the sea, yet in inside waters. By Monday afternoon we had reached a point from which it was necessary to put out to sea for two or three hours to cross a bay before entering the mouth of the Tarama River. To do this meant taking the sea beam on, but this was impossible because the waves had not abated. All we could do was wait for a break in the seas. Tuesday proved to be as rough, and Wednesday morning was even worse. However, the late afternoon showed definite signs of a drop in the wind and a running down of the sea. I alerted the crewmen that early the next morning, Thursday, we would make an attempt to cross over into the protected waters of the Tarama. On Thursday morning the seas were still quite rough, but my precious time was running out, so I decided to put out. We took a battering for a couple of hours, and it was a real relief to those unaccustomed to sailing when we entered the Tarama's mouth. The Tarama is 25 miles wide at the mouth, but is cone-shaped and soon narrows down considerably. It is known as the worst river on the Papuan coast for boars. A river boar is not the type of boar you obtain drinking water from or water from thirsty stock, nor is it in any way related to the pig family. It is a tidal wave with a high, abrupt front. The Tarama River continually carries a tremendous volume of water that increases at the peak new and full moon tides. This flow forces back the incoming tides until they build a wall of water that eventually drives up the river, travelling as far as 90 or 100 miles. The waters of the Tarama may run downstream for nine hours and then run backwards or upstream for the next three hours. The rise or fall in the whole length of the river is minimal because of the flat delta country. Big tides caused big bores. King-sized tides caused king-sized bores, which can mean a wall of water 12 feet high, followed a few yards behind by another, smaller, slightly, and a third about the same distance behind the second. Personally, I have never seen a bore more than about 8 feet, but even a 3- or 4-foot bore is a frightening experience, and can mean losing your boat if it should catch you beam on. A number of boats have been lost in the Tarama's lower waters because of bores. All day we travelled up and up until near sunset we were opposite a large village on the riverbank. About a quarter of a mile out from the village, we decided to drop anchor for the night. Because I had a new diesel engine in the boat, 
and it was due for an oil change in service, I suggested that Pastor Koivi and two of the teachers might like to go over to the village with a picture roll. Perhaps they could conduct a meeting and tell the people as simply as possible the story of Jesus who died for them. They agreed to go, for they had no idea how to service the boat engine. They had been gone only a little over half an hour when my wife told me that they were on their way back. As soon as I saw Koivi's face, I knew something was wrong. Master, we are wasting our time here. They are not the least bit interested. He told me that he had never seen the depths of heathenism that he had seen that night. What he saw would not bear repeating here, but sodomy was rife. I am sure that if I had seen what he saw, I would have reacted much the same way. He and I agreed that the gospel must certainly go to these people, and it certainly would be God's way and in his time. Had we not been told that the gospel must go to every nation and kindred and tongue and people, and that from these people the Master would gather some who would one day shine out in his wonderful kingdom? Next morning at dawn we set out again, pushing up and against the fast-flowing waters. Towards midday we saw several canoe loads of nearly naked people coming downstream, waving energetically. Apparently they were trying to get us to stop. Even though my wife wanted me to stop, I decided that we would keep going. As the canoes came closer, my wife said, please stop and see what these people want. I am not stopping. As the canoes passed close to my wife, my wife said, I do wish you had stopped. Those people were crying. Again, I answered, I am not stopping. Those people have never seen this boat before. They would not know us. I was eager to reach a headwater village described by a government patrol officer before sunset. Every few miles we passed villages until near sunset we dropped anchor at the village I had hoped to reach. For the opening Sabbath meeting we went ashore and gathered together a few people and told as simply as possible the grand old story. Even though they were few in number, only about fifteen, they sat spellbound as they listened to the big fell, a master on top, master belong all. At the close of this meeting, they assured us that by morning they would have many more people waiting to hear us. During the night, they went out in the bush to where many were living in temporary houses while planting new gardens. Also, they gave the word to a village we had passed quite a distance back on the river, only a short walking distance away. Six o'clock the next morning, we were thrilled to see 40 or 50 adults eagerly waiting for us. After trying to teach them some simple choruses, I spoke for about an hour and a half. At the close, I said, Now you can go and get some kai-kai, or food, and then when you hear the siren on the boat, you will know that it's time to come together for another meeting. The leader of the group suggested that we go and have our meal, but assured us that they would be there when we returned, for, as they said, we have never heard these stories before. We immediately had a few more choruses, and I spoke for about another hour, 
Then I suggested that we have a break for breakfast. They said, You go and have your breakfast. We will be here when you come back. We want to hear more of this wonderful story. Turning to Haru, I said, It's over to you, Haru. He then spoke for a good hour and at last suggested a break while we ate. But again there were the same demands for more of the wonderful story. After a break of about two hours, at the sound of the siren, they hurriedly gathered again together and Haru and I took meeting after meeting. Altogether that day, we spoke for more than seven hours. Unfortunately, I knew that early the next morning we had to be on our way back, for my tightly packed program would not permit any more time. We had lost so much time with the weather hold-up, I felt that with a reasonable day's run, we should reach the river's mouth by sunset that day that was Sunday. I well remember that down in the cabin, I poured out my heart to the Master, telling him I couldn't understand why we were permitted such a short time with all the waste of precious time caused by the weather and all the cost of fuel for only about eight or nine hours of preaching. During the hours of the night as I prayed about this matter, a bright thought came to me. The next morning, taking Haru aside, I asked him how he would feel if I were to leave him, two other teachers and two of the crew behind, five in all, if I could buy a canoe for them to use in working their way down the great waterway. Haru said he would be very happy and would count it as the greatest challenge and the toughest assignment I had ever given him. The others readily agreed to join Haru. To be continued. Tune in again next week for the next episode of I Saw God's Hand, written by Elwyn Martin and read by Alan Lindsay. Listen to William Ackland as he shares a psalm from his paraphrase of the Bible called The Gift. Psalm 120 is a plea by the psalmist that God would grant them relief. In all my adversities I cry to the Lord, and in his mercy he heard me. Take me away, O Lord, from the deceitful and the liar and from those who would turn me away from you? What shall be done to the lying tongue? How shall we stop their lying words? You shall be punished with sharp arrows of the mighty one and the burning coals of the broom tree. 
Woe is me that I dwell in Meshech, that my home is with the people of Kedar. I have been living too long with those who foment hate and unrest. I am a man who loves peace, but when I defend my position, they argue for war. <laughs> 